So maybe you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die, you're separated. And so he did. And he was instantly separated from, from God. When God came in the garden and, and, and was looking for him and called him, and called him Adam answered in Revelation, in Genesis 3, verse 10, and he says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Fear came on the scene. Why did fear come on the scene? Fear came on the scene because, number one, Adam was separated from God. That's the main reason. In fact, we can stop right there. But also, too, in being separated from God, the other thing that happened is, eating from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he shifted into a realm where he figured that the devil deceived him that if you're going to eat from this tree, you're going to know everything and you're going to know whatever you need to know. You're not going to have to consult with God. You could be your own God. And what he didn't understand, what he didn't understand, and he thought his eyes would open, open in, the, in one sense, open in the sense that there is a realm he became so sensitized to the realm of reasoning and logic and what it looks like. And in the process, he fell from that realm of walking by faith and not by natural sight. He fell from that realm of walking in the spirit and seeing as God sees. So now he fell into a realm where, where he had two problems. Number one, the righteousness separated him from God. And secondly, the, that separation from God that got him hooked up with the devil as a source of information, put him in a place where he began to walk by appearances. Are you with me? So if you fix those two things, and you can be in that place of oneness with God, be in that place where there is where you up, where He is your strength, He is everything, as He is, so are you, where you're in that place of oneness and you're in that place of righteousness where there is no guilt, where there is no shame, where there is no condemnation, where there is no insecurity, where you can operate in the dominion and an authority that God has delegated to him that says, be fruitful, multiply, go ahead, subdue, rule over all things, have dominion. If you can be back in that place of righteousness, and if you can walk not according to what it looks like, but like as Abraham, before him whom he believed, you can see as God sees. And walk by faith and not by sight. As if sin has never been. Walk according to the word of God, according as it is settled in heaven. Walk according as it is finished. Think and talk and act like God accordingly. Functioning in his authority. Then guess what? you will be as bold as a lion and fear would have no access or dominion over you. Amen? Are you with me? So that automatically, right from the outset, it tells us what is the answer to this fear thing. Now, here is the deal. But fear is an element that we have to deal with. But you see, the thing is, you already have all the freedom that you need from fear, you already have it. The answer to fear, listen to me now, the answer you have, the answer to fear. And you know what it is? The answer to fear is the new identity that you have in Christ. That new 
identity that you have in Christ, that new man, that born-again man, that new creation man, in your born-again spirit is created in righteousness, the very righteousness of God, and true holiness. Are you with me? And that man on the inside of your born-again spirit, he delights in God. And he sees the way God sees. He lives in fellowship and communion with God continually. That is why it's a very unbelieving statement when Christians begin to sing and talk and plead for God's presence to go with them. Because he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. You are bound together with him in your spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Hallelujah. You've been baptized into Christ. To be baptized into Christ is as to be tattooed. Hard to get that tattoo out. You are sealed by the Holy Ghost. Can you see how absurd and unbelieving it is when you are praying and begging and pleading and singing for God's presence to be with you? Amen? Why not be like Elijah and acknowledge the presence of God? The Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And it shall be according as I say. It's not going to rain until I say so. <laughs> Glory to God. Are you with me? But you see that restoration has already taken place in your spirit. Because in your spirit, you are the righteousness of God. And in your spirit, you can see as God sees. You say, but I don't get it. Yes, you get it. Because in your spirit, you have the mind of Christ. Amen? Now, what we got to do is let that mind that, is, that you have in Christ, you got to let that mind rule. That righteousness that you have in your spirit, you got to awake to it and become established in it. So that these truths that are in your spirit can come over into the area of your soul and come over into the area of your body and come over into the area of your life so that, you're not, so that you can break free in the rest of your life from every yoke of bondage and from every spirit of fear. For fear is a spirit. God has not given you a spirit of fear. It is from the devil. Amen? He is the spirit of fear. Hallelujah. So you see, this answer to all of your, of, your, of your freedom, and especially your freedom from fear, you already have that answer. That answer is the true person that you have in Christ, the true person that you are, your true identity. Say, I got the answer. You so much got the answer to all your problems, all your fears, whatever they might be, that Jesus said in, in, in John chapter 8, verse 36, that whom the Son sets free is just partly free, though. He that the Son sets free is what? Totally, absolutely, perfectly free indeed. Say, I'm free indeed. Say, I got it. You, you see, it is necessary for you to know you got it in order to get it. Because that's how faith works. Not until you know what already you already have, only then can you be able to work it out. You see, the mystery of faith lies in this. 
It lies in the reality of the fact that it's already done. It's already finished. It's already finished. It's already settled in heaven. And, when, and because faith sees as God sees, it sees what is settled in heaven, it magnifies that, it connects with that, it thinks that way, it speaks that way, it acts that way, and then the corresponding results come. Amen. The Bible calls it in Psalms 50 verse 23, that when you order your conversation aright, according as it is in heaven, according as it is finished, according as it is written, according, as the, according to the truth, it will what? Make you free. It will bring you to that same freedom. When you order your conversation aright, God says, I will show you my salvation. I will cause the deliverance. I will cause the manifestation and the fulfillment of the promise. Amen? Hallelujah. When you do what? When you order it as it is already done, as it is already finished, that's how this is how it works. And you got to bind yourself to that. You gotta bind yourself to that continually. Yes. You gotta make that a big deal what is done. Yeah. That's why I said, do you love his salvation? Do you love his deliverance? Do you love his healing? Do you love his prosperity? Do you love his freedom? Psalm 70 verse 4 says, Well, if you love it, then this is what you gotta say continually. Let the Lord be magnified. Make it a big deal. Make him bigger than the problem. He is the creator of the heaven and the earth. There is, no, I mean, there, he is bigger, huger, a million times over than the greatest problem you could ever have as a human being in this earth. And you see, faith believes that. And because faith believes that, here's what happens. Matthew 17, verse 20 says, that if your faith is a grain of mustard seed, that would believe like that and talk like that and act like that, nothing shall be impossible to you. Amen? That means you're going to be able to connect to all that God has. This is how the just live. They live by faith. This is how you breathe. This is how you move from point A to point B. This is how this Christian life, how you live it successfully. How? By faith. And this is, this is how it works. But faith is so, if faith sees the way God does, Faith operates this way. Amen? So you have got to know that I'm free indeed. And then when you know that, the truth of that, when you believe and you act in that, then that truth will make you free and cause it to be manifested in your life. Are you with me? Say, I'm free indeed. All right? So you, the answer then to all, of, all your problems, quite frankly, but all of the issues of fear, you already got it. Say, I got it. What is that answer? The answer is your true identity. The answer is the new man. Well, let, let, let's go a little further. The answer is you being faithful to the new man. You being faithful to the reality of who you are in Christ. Which means you're not, you're not going to betray him. You're not going to think different. You're not going to talk different. You're not going to deny him. And I tell you, you better don't deny him because he ain't going to deny himself. He don't agree with you if you go contrary to God. Are you with me? But if you and him are in agreement, as touching anything, it shall be done. Hallelujah. Are you with me? So it is the revelation of this new man, your true identity, 
and being true to that revelation, being faithful to him, think like him, talk like him, act like him, he is created in righteousness and true holiness. God himself, Christ himself is his life. He is a partaker of the divine nature. Amen? All right. You can't think naturally and live this life. You can't think like Harry or Greta. You got to think like Jesus because he is now your life. Do you know Harry? <laughs> you know Greta? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> the new man, he overcome it. Whoever is born of God, he overcome it. Now, so this new man He is totally, completely free. Now, just, just he overcome the world. Greater is he that is in him. And it's very quickly. He is so alive to God, which means he is sensitive to God. He is obedient to God. His heart is towards God. His delight is in the Lord. His focus is in God. And quite frankly, he is dead by the sacrifice of Christ to several things. Amen? To be dead to it means they can't influence him, direct him, manipulate him. He is not living to please them. He is not he, they, they can't intimidate him. They can't, he, he's not, whatever he hears only for the will of God. So he's dead to the world. Galatians 6, verse 14. I would rather glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That's talking about a new man. That's talking about your spirit. Say, my spirit. You got to recognize this is how you really are on the inside. And then what you're going to do is you're going to be faithful to who you are on the inside. In other words, you're going to be true to your true self. Say, I got to be true with me. Get it? So he's dead to the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all that is in the world, that I and me, that, that, that looks out uh, to oneself, he's dead to that. He's dead to the law. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, he is dead to the law by the body of Christ. When Jesus died and the old man was crucified was in him and was crucified with him and was buried with him, he became dead to the law. Which means what? The law has no dominion over him. Which means what? That means he is not looking at or believing for merits and favor based on his works. Amen. Amen? He's not trusting in his works. Because if he were trusting in his works, then Christ died in vain. Are you with me? Amen? Is it good to give? Is it good to tithe? But that's not where his confidence is. Is it good to be in church? You ought to be. Every time the door opens. <laughs> but is it based on that? No. And we could go on and on. We ought to be zealous for good works. But he's, but, but he's dead to the law. He's dead to works by the body of Christ. Hallelujah. He is dead. In fact, he is dead to circumstances. He is dead, the Bible says in Colossians 
Chapter 2, verse 20, to the rudiments of this word. The elementary principles. Do not, touch not, this and that. He's, all that kind of stuff, he, he, he doesn't listen to that. He's alive only to God. Are you with me? Amen? Now, he's dead to people. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, that the love of Christ constrains us, and this is what we judge. That if one died for all, then we're all dead. So I'm dead to, to them, they're dead to me. They have no influence on me, that born-again man. They cannot manipulate, intimidate, nor am I trying to impress them. That new man is not concerned about impressing anybody. And he's not really care about what you say or what you think. Are you with me? How can you manipulate somebody like that? How can you intimidate him? How can you bring fear into his life? Amen? In fact, I'll tell you why he has no fear. Because he's dead to self. <laughs> Amen? He is even dead to self. One of the things the enemy do is he would try to use circumstances, use the senses, and the reasoning realm, and especially the senses, to quicken certain negative emotions, discouragement, disappointment, um, frustration, guilt, and even produce certain type of negative emotions that can even manifest in your body. I mean a certain kind of smell. And it brings you back some kind of horrible memory. But you see, the new man, he's not even affected by that. How do you I mean, they can, they, 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 I mean, some people want to, I mean, if they, they hear a weird song, ah! you know what I mean? Like, like the kind you hear in a horror movie. They get afraid. They want, the, the, the new man is not affected by any of that. So the devil has no dominion over him. Amen? And he's sitting far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion in every name. He's seated at the Father's right hand. He has ascended with Christ. And we could go on and on and what he's dead to and, and all of that. And, um, and then the list just goes on. And as a result of that, no fear. He's free. Say, I'm free. The Bible says concerning him that the voice of a stranger he will not follow. The voice of the circumstances, the voice of people, the voice of the past. Ah, this happened to me. I was traumatized by it. No, 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 no. He don't have none of that. You know why he doesn't have none of that? The past doesn't exist for him. He, the past, old things have passed away. If he tries to find any kind of past, you know where he's going to find it? Find it? He's going to find it where he came from. He came right out of God. You know what it is? You know what that was like? <laughs> right? He was chosen in God before the foundation of the world. I don't want to even want to go there. But if we go there, man, there is only delight. I can assure you, there ain't nothing in his past to intimidate, infuriate, invoke fear, or any other negative emotions. In fact, he rejoices in the Lord always. He rejoices and he is glad in him. All the time. You know why? 
His delight is in the Lord. He lives unto God. Romans 7 verse 22. Think about it. That's how he is. What room is there for fear and negative emotions when you are living and abiding and abounding and overflowing in joy and rejoicing continually? Are, are you catching it? Tell a new man, the real me is so totally free. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He lives in perfect harmony with God. 1 John 5 verse 18 says, He that is born of God sinneth not, but he keepeth himself, and the evil one touches him not. He that is born of God sinneth not. He doesn't allow, there's no separation. That's the very essence of his being. No separation. But he keeping himself, keeping himself where? Well, Jude chapter 21 says, turn it, building yourself up in your most holy place, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keeping yourself where? In the love of God. Keeping yourself where? In Christ. Stay in him. And the evil one touches him not. Here's a little truth. Anytime you get touched, <laughs> it's because you come out of him. But if you abide in him, the evil one touches you not. Can you see? And that's where he lives. He lives there. Seen by the Holy Ghost. Can you see how free he is? Say, so that's how free I am in my spirit. Jesus is his Lord. As I was saying, he doesn't listen to any other voice, only the voice of the master. My sheep hear my voice. They know his voice, the, the voice of a stranger. They don't know the voice, they don't listen, they don't answer to it. He has total freedom, he has perfect freedom. Second Timothy 1 verse 1 verse 7 says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. He has given you a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind, not fear. And that sound mind is the mind of Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. Don't know, not Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Sorry. Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> sorry, and verse 15. You have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear. But you receive a spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry out for Father. So, this born again new man knows that he's adopted. God has adopted him. He has a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. He has no bondage. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse, and verse 1 says, Fear not, for I have what? Redeemed you. In other words, you are redeemed. So you have, you have no reason to fear. I have redeemed you. I've redeemed you from fear. And because I have redeemed you, there's no reason to fear. But that's where that new man is. All right? All right. So let's move along here. Let's speed up here. 
Or maybe not speed up. Turn me to Hebrews chapter 2. We don't have to speed up. Who said you have to speed up? Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 6. Born in a certain place testifying, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would visit him? You made him a little lord in the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. And you set him above all the works of your hand. You put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that you put everything in subjection under him, you left nothing that is not put under him. But you see, when we look at that from a natural standpoint, we don't see it that way. And so to help you, it goes on to say, remember, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. Even though you may not see yourself as everything being underneath your feet, can you see that all things are underneath Jesus' feet? Can you believe that? Right? Well, aren't you as he is, so are you in this world? So everything is subject to Jesus. Whether heaven, in earth, under the earth, visible or invisible. Isn't that right? And that speaks of the very person, the very nature of Christ, and that nature is righteousness. So righteousness. Now, in Isaiah 45 and verse 3, it says, Isaiah 45 and verse 23, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth, how? In righteousness, and will not return void. The word spoken in righteousness, that unto me shall every knee bow, and every tongue shall swear. Unto me shall every knee bow. Righteousness is that. Righteousness is the nature of God. Righteousness is the nature of Christ. Righteousness is your born again nature. Now let me ask you something. Do you believe that, if, that everything is subject to the nature of Christ? Do you believe by him all things consist? Do you believe that everything is, is, is that um, without him there was nothing made that was made? Do you believe that as in, that at the name of Jesus, the very essence of his being, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth? Do you believe that? Yes. All of that is saying that everything bows to the nature of Christ, which is righteousness. Now, does it say in Colossians 3 and verse 3 that you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God? And when Christ, second Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory? In other words, it says Christ is your life. The essence of your born be again spirit and your true identity is Christ himself, that nature. You are a partaker of the divine nature. Are you with me? Well, that nature, we just said a little while ago, everything bows to that nature. In other words then, that nature of Christ that is in you, everything is subject to that nature. Hello? Now where does that leave fear? Say no fear here. I can make fear bow. Come on. I only heard a whisper. In fact, say I'm going to make fear bow. Say I'm going to make fair bow. It will not rule my life. Period. I am the righteousness of God. Say it. I'm as bold as a lion. I'm full of confidence. Because as he is, so am I. The I am 
is in me. All that he is, he is in me. He's my stronghold, my wisdom, my strength, my salvation, my deliverance, my hope. Christ in me is the hope. That's my hope. That's my expectation of victory, of the manifestation of his goodness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. That nature, this new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, that Christ is all and in all. Everything in your born-again spirit, whether it be love, joy, peace, it's all of God. It's the love of God. It's the joy of the Lord. It's the peace of God. It's the mind of Christ, and on and on. So, as having that established that indeed, in that the new man, all your answers in there, and, and, um, and the, the new man is totally, completely, perfectly free as God himself is free, let me ask you this. If you and I, if you are to truly function in your new nature and in that new identity, if you are to function in there, think and talk and act and function and have your life and your being in and from that nature, if you were to function in that nature, would you have any fear? Of whom shall you be afraid? You wouldn't have any fear. Well, then what does that tell you? That tells you then that your answer, you have the answer because you got a new man. Your answer then is to function in the new man. Do you know the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the new man. Amen? And I, I, I'm thinking about a scripture that actually says, put, yeah, put on the new man. Yeah, in fact, that's what it says, isn't it? In, in, um, <laughs> in, Act, in um, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, put on the new man. Yeah, that's right. It does say that. Put on the new man who after God is created in righteousness. Put ye on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So if you put on a new man and you function in a new man, with, not, with your understanding of how free is, if you are functioning in a new man, no fear here. Say no fear here. So that's your answer to fear. Say I got the answer. Amen. So all you gotta do now is um not just accept. The word I'm looking for is, is do, but it's not do. Application. So that's an issue of application. Say, I got the answer. Because you do. Can you see you got it? Can you see that? Yes. So it's just a matter of application. How do I function in this new man? That's what it's all about. How do I function in this new identity? Now, we're not going to exactly cover it in this session. We cover it. In, in, in another, I have one other session today, and um, an apostle, uh, um, I was going to Andrew, apostle Sion will have two other sessions. But in the other session, I am going to address how do you do this? How do you function in a new man? How do you function in that new identity? Where does it say, how do you function in righteousness? Because that's the identity, is it not? You got it? All right. Nevertheless, there would be no fear. To be free from fear, you've got to be established in your true identity. Is that right? And what is that identity? Say Christ. Christ. Christ is your identity. Now listen to this here for a moment. 
Ephesians chapter 4, would you like to grow up in your identity? Mature in Christ? Listen to this just for a moment, like if you never ever heard it before. Speak the truth in love and grow up into him which is the head, even Christ. So it says by you speaking, believing, acting, and operating in truth from a motivation of love, you will just grow up into Christ. You will grow up and mature. Amen? Hallelujah. So you got to be established in that identity. And truth. Christ is truth. Is he the truth? He's the way and he's the truth. Is Christ righteousness? Christ is made unto us righteousness. Christ is your holiness. The love of God, which we're going to cover later, which includes unselfishness and death to self, and is also part of righteousness. But Christ is all of those things. Now you see, all right, now watch this now. Your freedom lies where? In functioning in your new identity. Would you say that an identity of Christ? Colossians 2 verse 9 says, In Christ, in him, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Does that sound natural? Does Christ with the fullness of Godhead in him, is that natural? Is that human? Is that human? <laughs> That's divinity, isn't it? If I can turn over here. Colossians chapter 3. Let, let's get this. Alright. What's this here? Are we going somewhere? Say we're going somewhere. I'm on the train. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His train filled the temple. The glory of God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body. In him, the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression to the divine nature in Christ. All right, that was the Amplified Version. And then verse 10. And you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. Amplified. And you are in him, made full, and having come to fullness of life in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and reach spiritual stature. And he is the head of all rule and authority, and so on. All right. Here's the thing. Hold that thought. Hold that, that, that image of, of divinity. The Godhead. The fullness of God that is in Christ. And Christ is in you. So the fullness of the Godhead is in you. Is that right? Yeah. All right. It's not the Holy Ghost here and Jesus over there and God up there. Amen. Now here's the source of fear. One of the main sources of fear comes from the limitations of your humanity. Race. Race could be a limitation, can it not? Age. Gender. Looks. 
resources, your past, all things associated with your humanity, and you can go on and on. So your humanity, when I have to, when I'm in a situation and I'm looking at, oh, I might not have favor in this environment because of my race. Or I'm thinking, I'm too young, or I'm too old, I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too handsome. Oh, I don't want somebody like that for this commercial. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Those things can create limitations. Or I don't have enough resources. I'm weak. I don't have enough ability. All right. So, and as a result, I'm intimidated. I'm insecure. I can't step into certain situations. I, I, I mean, I, I can't attempt certain businesses because of the fear of failure. All coming from where? My humanity. You know, I mean, the word of God says he's wrongly with favors and shields, but I don't believe in that favor after because of humanity. But now here is the thing. We just read about the fullness of God dwelling inside of you, and I'm saying that the revelation and, and, and binding yourself to the identity, your true identity, the new man and Christ, what happened? You basically are, you have supernatural you have the supernatural wrapped up in humanity. Divinity living in this castle of dirt. Are you with me? But you're redeemed. So, I say all of that to say, our focus, we are redeemed from whether we male or female or, or bond or free or tongue or, and all of that stuff. And we've got an idea. He that has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Amen? Are you with me? He is your identity. And, and the whole way this stuff works says, how does this faith work? I got to see how God sees it. I got to see what is according as it is written, what is settled in heaven, and so on and so forth. All right. Furthermore, yes. <laughs> okay, all right, let's see where we are here. Glory to God. All right, furthermore, get all of this. Like as we were saying, when you look at the identity and you look at the makeup of this new man in here, you'll see what he's dead to. Dead to the world, dead to this, dead to self, dead to people, and all of those things have no voices, no authority for him. But now, on the other hand, here's this other aspect. Everything that Jesus finished in his sacrifice, everything that Jesus finished in his sacrifice is for your benefit. Jesus didn't come and go to the cross for himself. Amen? The Bible says he's been raised up. He's been given a name which is above every name. He's the most high God. But you know something? <laughs> he was most high before he came. <laughs> Amen? Isn't that right? He had authority before he came. He abhorred all things by the word of his power before he came. So he didn't go to the cross to be exalted. Yes, it's a man that is now exalted, the man Christ Jesus. And that didn't exist before. But nevertheless, he really did all that he did for you. So whenever you can go and you can look at the sacrifice of Christ and see what he finished, you need to know whatever I find in there that he finished, it belongs to me, it's for me. Let's quickly look at some of it. 
Alright? Being put an end to the rule of sin. Yes. Sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. He was made to be sin that you made the righteousness of God in Christ. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that's primarily sin. So the rule of sin is broken off of you, and it's certainly broken off your born-again spirit. Sickness. Matthew 8, 17, he bore your sicknesses and he carried your diseases. First Peter 2, 24, by his stripes you were healed. Why did he take his sicknesses and his diseases? For himself? No, he took it. He took yours and mine so that you might have, so that sickness might not rule over me. Take Christ rules over me. The curse. Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14. Curses everyone that hung it upon a tree. Jesus became a curse when he hung upon a tree. Why? That he might redeem us from the curse of the law. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit. So the, the curse is not supposed to rule your life. And has no rule over your born again spirit. Poverty. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might be made rich. Why? So that poverty might not rule your life. It's a curse. Hello? What about the devil? Should he rule your life? The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. The Amplified says he disarmed him. You know what I mean? He stripped him. It's like here you have this warrior and he has all these, I mean he has all this, these, these big weapons and all of this. I mean he has this spear and he has all this, all these other gadgets and, and all this weaponry. And he has stuff, little, I don't know, grenade hiding in his back pocket and all of that. But what happened? Jesus came. Stripped him, took all that stuff off, took all his weapons away, stripped him, and then and then hung and then tied him to the back of a donkey cart, naked and bare, stripped, and then disarmed him, and then traveled, and then dragged him all the way through town, so that all those people that he used to intimidate can look at him, see that he's naked, and see he got no weapons. He's been disarmed. I can look at them and say, wait a minute, is this the worm that used to intimidate us? Are you with me? Now here you are, Christ in you, that mystery revealed for this purpose, for this intent. Ephesians 3 and verse 10, that on to the principalities and powers, devils and demons and angels alike might be made known by you, the church, through you, the manifold wisdom of God that has accomplished this. That has accomplished the very eternal purposes of God in Christ. For this very purpose, so that you might have boldness and confidence and access both to God and access to the enemy because he's underneath your feet and access for people in terms of your intercessory position where they're concerned. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9 through to 12. Amen? That means the devil is not supposed to rule over you. You've got authority over him. People are not supposed to rule over you. Because you're dead to them, they're dead to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. The past. The past is not supposed to rule over you. Number one, all things have passed away, all things have become new. Why are all things passed away? Because you were buried with him by baptism unto death. And you were buried with him. Now it's gone. And you were raised up, that stuff is no longer there. Now you are raised up and you now have new life. You have the life of Christ. You are born again by the resurrection to a new and a living hope. 
to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Glory to God. Circumstances. They are not supposed to rule over you. Colossians 2, verse 20. Be crucified to the rudiments of this world. The word. You are in the word, but not of the word. Remember Jesus said that? You're in the word, but you are not to be defined by the world or have the limitations that the people in the world have. Because where you are concerned, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And there is no good thing he's going to withhold from you. After all, he that spared not his own son, how shall he not with him also freely give you what? All things. You are dead to the world. The world has no authority over you, and the world is not to rule you. You are dead to the world through the, through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14. You are dead to self. You are crucified with Christ. It's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that lives in you. Galatians 2 verse 20. You are so dead to self that the Bible says they that belong to Christ, they that belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. Galatians 5 verse 24. Amen? <laughs> you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3 verse 3. The rule of culture, the rule of race. You have been redeemed out of every town, out of every kindred, out of male and female and all of that stuff. Revelation 5 verse 9, Galatians chapter 3 verse 27, 28, 29. All right? What's my point? None of these things. In other words, can you see how free you are? And, and that's, it's not only what you're dead to, but this is what Jesus purchased. This is what Jesus finished. He put an end to the rule of all of those things over your life. So that those things are not supposed to rule you anymore. Instead, here you are. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. You can do what? All things through Christ that strengthen you. Here you are. He that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also great works and deeds, because I've gone to the Father. What do you mean I've gone to the Father? I've completed the sacrifice. So what? So that now, as I am, so are they in this world. Are you with me? Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What should we say to all of these things? This is what I'd say. Refuse to live in any other dimension than this dimension that you raised to. Refuse to live in any other dimension other than what God says and other than the revelation and the reality of this new man and the revelation of righteousness and these things. And to refuse to live in any other dimension other than what God has finished for you in Christ. Are, are you getting this? But you got to make that determination. Amen? But how are you going to do that? you got to have to know the truth. It is the truth that produces that freedom. It's all the way in the spirit, but it's the truth that produces that freedom. Freedom. You've got to know the truth. And that truth is what produce, makes you free. The devils, you know the Bible says in Luke chapter 11 verse 22, that when you come to a strong man's house and you want to take his stuff away, you know what you got to do? you got to bind him. You got to tie him up, and you got to take away the armor in which he trusted. What was he trusting? He was trusting in his ability to deceive you. He was trusting in, 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 in trying to get you to walk according to appearances. He was trusting in keeping you separated from God. And from that place, he wants to infiltrate your life 
entangle you up and entangle you with a spirit of fear. Which is what? False evidence appearing real. Where is it coming from? It is the spirit of fear. The word spirit means messenger. What kind of messenger? A messenger that speaks things that is contrary to what God says. Telling you that you shall not die. <laughs> right? Telling you that you don't need God. Telling you to trust in the arm of the flesh. Telling you all, a whole bunch of lies. Telling you, trying to make the doctor's report more real than the power of God. Trying to make the circumstances, make, make you to look at those. And, and, and you, he wants you to go and do a lot of research. So that, uh, so that after you've done the research and your problem, you can now have a calculated pessimism. Hello? Calculated pessimism. How about that one? <laughs> right? False evidence appearing real. Glory to God. But the truth that is settled in heaven will change the facts that are on the doctor's report, the facts that are on the earth. Amen? That's how it works. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Say, I need the truth. I want to give, let me give you a verse of scripture here. Hosea chapter 4. You see, you know, that is why this issue of, of understanding and revelation, it is critical. The Bible says when my people perish, for what? Lack of knowledge. The Bible says, in, um, and that's in Hosea 4 verse 6. In um, Isaiah 5 verse 13, it says they are led into captivity because they have no knowledge. But now in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 14, which I am trying to find... Hosea, here you are. Oh, no, hallelujah. Not Hosea. Hosea. No, hallelujah. Say hallelujah, somebody. Hosea chapter 14, the last part of that verse. Therefore, the people that do not have understanding shall fall. What does that mean? Amplified. The people without understanding shall stumble, shall fall, and even come to ruin. You're going to stumble. You're going to trip up if you don't have understanding. The Bible says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17, and I'm paraphrasing, that even though you have the life of God, the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling inside your spirit, yet you could be alienated from it because of ignorance. Because of not having understanding. Having understanding darkness. How many believers, I don't mean to be unkind, how many believers die from sickness and disease? And in the meantime, the spirit is pregnant with divine life because of righteousness. Romans chapter 8 verse 10, your spirit is life because of righteousness. You are a partaker of his divine nature where? Out here in your head, off somewhere knowing your spirit. But yet believers die from sickness and disease while the divine healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his excellence and, 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 and way above and beyond healing virtue is living in their spirit. Why? Because they didn't know how to draw it out from their spirit and get it into their body and into their flesh. They didn't know how to get the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead to quicken their mortal body. Well, why? According to Ephesians 4 verse 17, it's because they didn't have understanding. Are you with me? Right? And what I'm talking about here, that's why you've got to get a hold of this reality that this is who I am. This is how I am. This is how it is in the spirit. This is what I've got in the new man. This is what Jesus finished. This is what I'm dead to. This is what I'm alive to. And then let all of your thinking, let all of your speaking, let it function from there. No matter what, who don't like it? I mean, okay, you have some folks that have a problem. Okay, don't be too loud in front of them. 
All right? You're not trying to put, you know, I mean, it's not about that. Because you're not trying to impress them. Amen? No, they haven't done, if you need to, but don't you go agreeing with their unbelief. And most of all, don't let their unbelief, don't let their unbelief contaminate you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. But how do you get there? The only way, the way you get there is you've got to meditate on the word. You see, things in the physical, natural realm are very real to you. The things in the spiritual realm is not as real to you. But it will become real to you as you meditate on it. Amen? As you think on it. The Bible says 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 7. Consider 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 7. Consider what I say and the Lord give you understanding. How important is understanding? The Bible says, first of all, in Proverbs chapter 24, and I believe it's, it's verse 1. Through wisdom the house is built, but it's through understanding that it's established. And then by knowledge, the rooms are filled with plenty. Proverbs 4 verse 7, in all you're getting, get understanding. Why? Because without it, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you may even come into ruin. Hello? Glory to God. But it takes diligence. Meditating takes diligence. You see when it says, John chapter 8, verse 32, remember that? You're going to know the truth and the truth will make you free. But the verse before that says, if you, are my, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you're going to know the truth. Then knowing the truth comes because you continue in the word, because you stay with the word, because you meditate in the word. The word must not simply be something that you read in a book. The word must be something you eat and you feed on. The Bible says, I believe it is in, um, it's in Job. I'm not exactly sure where, but it says, Job 23 and verse 12. The word was found, and I ate it, and it was the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Feed on it. Feed on it. Jesus is the word. He says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have my life in you. Amen? The word is your life. It's not a vain thing. Do you want me to do verse 17? Glory to God. You got to feed on it. You got to meditate on it. You got to be diligent in the word. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10, so as to make your calling and your election sure. Amen. You got to be diligent. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Christ is your life. But you got to feed it. This issue of meditating is, is, is a very critical one. And there's a thought. There's a thought I'm looking for. You have got to meditate on the word until it becomes real to you. Until it becomes more real than what you could see or taste or smell. And that, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen overnight. But it can happen and it will happen if you give yourself wholly onto them. Amen. Jeremiah 15 verse 10, I think it is, says, um, It was more important to me than my necessary food. This is Smith Rivers' word would not eat until he read a chapter in the Word of God. I have to finish this, so let me let, let me let, let me this um let me give you this thought. I think this is so important. Don't read the word like a storybook. You know, as as ministers, ministers we have a special um difficulty challenge and temptation that we face. And you know what it is? Reading the word so as to get another message. Sunday in all week, 
Not to feed ourselves, but so we can feed you. Not good. <laughs> Not a good thing. I gotta feed the word for myself. You see, you must not read the word just for information, or read the word so as to get a message, or something you can share in a, in a study group or a test. No. You must not read the word as, oh, this is what happened with David and Goliath. No, 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 no. You must not read it for some, from some detached position. you got to read the word and recognize that this is my life. When you see Jesus walking in the water, you got to see yourself walking in the water. Man. When you see the woman touching the hem of his garment, you got to see yourself wearing the garment. Are you with me? Right? You, you know, you gotta, when you see that, that, that um, certain scriptures, the wisdom of God, in Him, the wisdom and the mind of Christ, you gotta see this is talking about me. The Bible says, Jesus found the place where it was written, Behold, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He's anointed me. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Well, you gotta go through here and find a place where it is written, I can do all things through Christ that strengthen me. Glory to God, He always causes me to triumph. Woo! Two thanksgiving, yeah! I can become established in the faith and abound by thanksgiving. Mm, that's how it works, eh? You gotta see yourself in the word. Far above our principles, seated on the Father's right hand. My life, that's who I am, that's who I am. And read from that place where you are attached. I was, we had this conversation before. You know, sometimes, you ever, how many of you have ever gone to a reunion or you have a yearbook, a school yearbook? When you get a school yearbook, what do you do? Who, who are you looking for? <laughs> right? Who are you looking for? You have, you have a family picture. You're looking for yourself. And many times, I don't like that picture. I didn't look good in that one. <laughs> Vanity. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> the point is, you go to that yearbook, you go to that family picture, and you're looking for yourself. Well, go in this book and find you. And don't read it as some story off somewhere. Attach itself. It is wonderful to recognize that He is the way. He is my stronghold. He is this. He is the healer. He is my wisdom. And you can see all of that, but attach yourself to it. Recognize that He that we are talking about is on the inside of me. And I'm one with Him. Amen? I remember sometimes, you know, some I'm in praise and worship, and I found myself over a period of time, you know, the praise and worship team would be praising and worshiping God, and then, you know, the pastor walks up, and, and he comes up, and then he does some exhorting stuff, and he, you know, endeavoring to flow with the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of prophecy. And I found myself many times, I found myself many times, you know, we are worshiping God, and we're talking about, oh, oh God, you are so wonderful, so beautiful, so holy, so perfect in all your ways. You are so righteous, you're so kind, you're so this, and we are magnifying him. And then I would come up there and I would start saying that, that, that I would start saying that God, I would start saying something like, in the same way you say, God, you are so beautiful. And he says, you are beautiful too. And you say, God, you are so holy. And he says, you are holy. And you say, God, you are perfect in all your ways. And he says, you are perfect in Christ Jesus. And I would hear, I would hear many times the very thing that we are praising God for. And I would hear, and I would start somehow seeing it the other way and start seeing us. And I thought to myself, is that wrong? Am, am I just full of self? We ought to be focusing on God and what am I hearing and seeing prophetically. But I've come to understand, like as Jesus said. Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 13, Behold, I and the children whom you have given me. 
He that, I, I mean, I, 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 he, 